Welcome to the Hey Salespeople podcast, where we focus on delivering immediately actionable best practices for sales professionals. I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan from SalesLoft. Today, it's my great pleasure to welcome Stephanie Solomonson and Jean Silva. Both of them are account development executives at iSIMS. iSIMS is the largest provider of talent acquisition software. So if uh, you've ever been hired, there's a pretty good chance that you or the people on the other side were using their software. Today, actually, we're going to talk about the transformation of a company's sales engagement strategy with a particular focus on the relationship between sales and marketing and applying an account-based marketing approach. But let me take a moment to welcome Stephanie. Stephanie, welcome to the show. Thank you. And Jean, welcome to the show as well. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Well, I always start off giving the audience a little bit of a chance to know you better. And I like to do that in two ways. The first is to ask each of you what your favorite sales or leadership or potentially other book is and why. So Stephanie, why don't I start with you? What was your favorite sales book of all time? I really got into The 5-Minute Manager. It's a really quick read and it's basically told in a series of short stories that's meant to just challenge someone's outlook on how they coach someone out of certain behaviors. So it's through like parables. Is there a specific situation where, you know, you found that the techniques in that book were useful for coaching someone out of? I think the thing that stood out most to me was this one story about how someone kept doing something their own way rather than following like the best practices put in place by a company that were like backed by a history of successes. And basically it just involved the manager sitting someone down and getting them to come to the realization that there were other tools out there for them to use and feel empowered by without them feeling like they were being told your own ideas are bad. That book I love because it's where situational leadership comes from, which is that you tune your coaching to the skill and the will of the individual on the project, which is one of my major management epiphanies that I had when I read that book. And Gene, how about for you? What's your favorite sales book of all time? The one that's had the most influence on me and my overall success uh, has actually been Getting Things Done by David Allen. One of the best skills that you can develop as pretty much anyone in sales, no matter what your role is, how you manage your time and where you invest your time to get the um, best outcome and getting things done. I read it very early in my career with my first manager, and it really had a really deep impact on how I saw my time, how I managed it, what was important and what was something that I need to do quickly and kind of learning how to prioritize and when to do what task really, really helped me. That's paid off dividends for me throughout the years. I assume it's been updated, but I don't know because I do remember that half the book was his philosophy and then half the book was the system. Yes. The first half is the whole part of how to use drawers and how to print things on paper and put it down. And it's, it's, I mean, it's very difficult to get through. You kind of get the overall part of what he's trying to do. But yeah, there was, um, I think it was either early last year or late last year, he came out with an updated version of obviously the concepts hold true. He shares a few more stories around how he's seen it put into practice at large organizations and with top executives. He keeps the part about paper, but gives a little bit more updates too. I understand that people are moving towards more digital tools, and how can you leverage that? He doesn't make any specific app recommendations, but he gives overall ideas as to if you want to do this digitally, this is how it will work. Obviously, the apps change over time. I've actually boiled it down to my own time management framework, which it has four elements. The first is, does this need to be done? Is this important enough to be done? And then if not, delete it? Yep. If yes, proceed. And then my next question is, am I either, I think David Allen says, am I uniquely qualified to do this? 
if not, then delegate. I have another one that's part of that, which is am I not only am I uniquely qualified to do this, or should I do this in order to develop a new skill or to keep a skill sharp? There are times where I, I feel like I need to do that. But yeah, otherwise delegate. And then if you can't delegate it, then it's do it now if it takes you less than five minutes. And then I guess he uses defer as the last one. But I, I just I use schedule it now, which is that defer for me is passive. Whereas scheduling, although it doesn't start with a D, uh, means I put time on my calendar to get something done. The whole idea is we all feel like we have more to do and less time to do it, when really it's about finding the right time to do each task. So the, can I do this the next two minutes or not, is actually, if you actually put into practice, is actually super powerful because you can get things out of the way that would kind of start to bottleneck for you very quickly. And then the defer part is, what's the right context for me to accomplish this goal? is very important. So if I have to make a call and I know I'm going to be traveling, well, maybe while I'm traveling is not the best time for me to make a call. So it's all about context as to when you should be doing specific tasks. I do want to ask another question that gives people a glimpse into who you are. So I'll reverse the order this time. Gene, I'd love to ask you first, what is the first thing you ever remember selling? It was my grandmother in her little town had uh, one, like a once a year flea market. And so she would rent out a little space to, um, and as you can imagine, grandmothers have a huge garage full of stuff that she's accumulated over the years. And she would just rent it out. And she just said, just, you know, get up to however the booth cost me. And then everything else is for you and my, and my cousins to divide up between, between the, all of us. And that was the, the first kind of sales memory I ever had. And I remember having a lot of fun doing it, kind of like the challenge of trying to convince someone to buy something for me, even though I didn't know who they were and didn't know what they would use it for. It was, you know, one of the first memories I ever had. And I remember very vividly having a lot of fun doing it. So that was my first memory. Since you were a kid, did people try to negotiate with you or would they Oh, absolutely. Yes, of course. That was the fun part. So Stephanie, how about for you? What was the first thing you remember selling? I have a very distinct memory of shaming neighbors into buying lemonade from me (laughs) just by being a, a small child standing on the side of the road in sweltering heat and asking nicely. <laughs> Brilliant. All right. Well, now we get to the main event. So let's uh, love to talk a little bit about how you guys approached your sales engagement transformation and how you drew in marketing. What was the problem you were solving? Where did this begin? Stephanie and I were thankful enough to go to Rainmaker this year, and we came back with a, a lot of notes. Our overall thought process was this. Our sales team does a great job of making a great product. Our marketing team does a great job telling a great story. Our customer support team does a great job supporting customers. We wanted to do a great job at prospecting and offering our potential new customers a really great prospecting experience. So that's where it started. That was a kind of our guiding principle and kind of went back and thought about how does our team currently prospect and how are we using the tools that we have at our disposal? And we looked at SalesOff because it's our, it's our primary tool to prospect for our team and thought that we're, we're using it well, but there's so much more potential that it could be doing for us that we're currently not tapping into. And what we came to the conclusion was that by letting each SDR manage, write, and execute their own individual cadences, just just wasn't working for us. We weren't learning from that content. We weren't getting any data back. We were not being very efficient because every SDR was creating their own content, writing their own cadences. 
mostly off of just you know their own knowledge of how to do it and how to write email. So it wasn't efficient. We weren't necessarily getting the results that we thought we could be getting. And we just didn't think it was a really great prospecting experience. It wasn't as consistent as we wanted it to be. Marketing materials weren't being funneled into the right place. And we were just not doing as effective a job as we thought we could be. So we decided right after Rainmaker that moving over to team cadences was really what was going to help us move forward and deliver a really great prospecting experience. And we kind of internally called it our unified cadence strategy, where we're going to have to go through a transition period away from those individual cadences into those team cadences so that we could all work towards a much better prospecting experience. I always think of any transformation as people, process, and technology. I imagine the people change was pretty significant because you had all these SDRs who had individual control and people love control in their work. Was that a a major issue for you, the people transformation side of it? I think the thing is that our team, we had already started considering, are the steps that we're putting together in these cadences the absolute best steps for what it is we want to accomplish? So that conversation had already started to take place. And we've sort of gotten some direction from leadership or sales leadership saying like, hey, we want you to get in a room, everyone on the account development team and talk about the steps that you use and your best cadences and what sort of data you have behind those cadences. So we had already sort of started that. And then at Rainmaker, we learned about Inside Out's big book of cadences. And that sort of basically gave us all of the data that we were trying to scrape together ourselves all in one place. So I think that coming back with this book and saying, these are data proven cadences that are going to help enrich our prospecting activities. Everybody was really open to that. But there was a little bit of a transition in terms of moving everyone off of cadences that they all felt were working for them into these new team cadences. And it's an ongoing conversation. And we're really happy to hear feedback from the rest of the team and put in place things that they're finding are working specifically for them. But everyone's been really great about giving feedback and has been really open to trying something new, especially since they know that there's a lot of data to back it up. I love that you mentioned the inside out big book of cadences and folks can, you know, Google that and find it. It's also, I think, on the SalesLoft website. They introduced a, an idea to me that I had not been thinking as much about, which is we always had social steps in our cadences and our social steps were sprinkled in a little more with the, you know, emails and calls and so on. What the big book of cadences has, though, is it has a few cadences in there where they're rather heavy up front with social steps sometimes three or four social steps before you even get into calls and emails. Have you guys tested that at all? Oh, yeah. That's, in fact, probably the number one feedback we got back from our team once we um, implemented and launched with, with the new cadences is how well social is working for them. First off, because I think it's unique. It's a means of prospecting that didn't exist before and that I think most potential customers that are being targeted don't necessarily get prospected that much through. So it's a great tool for us to kind of differentiate. It's also a great tool for us to get to know our customers. You know, we think about building our cadences around how are we helping the customer? How are we helping them learn more about their industry and what's going on? And we're thinking about how do we solve for a pain that they have? And going through their LinkedIn, getting to know them through what they're putting out publicly is, is a great means for us to do that. So engaging with them through what they're posting online is really great. So we get to know what's important to them, what they're thinking of front of mind, get to know a little bit more about their career. Potentially, they were a previous customer. It's just a great place to start out the conversation. Maybe we know that they used to work at a, at a different company in an industry that we speak well to. So it really helps us guide how we want to position our product to them. And it helps us be different in how we prospect compared to, to everybody else. It's, it's 
very engaging platform and it's getting us really great results. It's also just providing a really great experience for the ADE team too, because it allows us a time to take a breath and really look at our prospects LinkedIn pages and get to know them, like Jean had said. That way, when we enter into conversations with them, we're just better equipped with information and it doesn't feel so much like we're calling them for the sake of calling them. It's we know these people a little bit better and we have a little bit of a relationship with them because they've seen our faces on LinkedIn. So it just makes cold calling so much easier. Yeah, and it's helped with something else, which is one of our other guiding principles as we rebuilt our cadences was you know, you, you always think about how you're crafting your your message or how you're preparing for a call. And I have had to change my mentality of moving away from what's the intended outcome out of this, which has been kind of how I approach most emails or calls before. And I kind of transitioned it back to how am I helping the customer at this point in their engagement with us? And that's been really, really helpful in how we've built out the messages into the cadences. And it's been a big shift for, for me personally and for the rest of the team as well is not thinking about what am I looking to get out of this, but thinking about how am I helping the prospect at this stage. And social has been probably the, the main way for us to do that because we get to establish our credibility around what we're personally posting on, on our feed so that potential prospects can engage with us there. We can engage with them around what they're posting and what their career is like. And maybe they just got a new promotion and we can see that and we can congratulate them for it. And it's, it's a great place to start off the conversation. There's so many different avenues that we can start off that makes it really engaging and really fun. Yeah. I mean, there's so many things that you can do on social. The only one you guys didn't mention that I think is also super valuable is if you know they work in a particular industry, like, you know, you guys are in the talent acquisition software space. So if you were a prospect, I would engage you guys by finding maybe something that was related to the HR and talent acquisition, just at mention you guys. Yep. And that at mention is a super valuable, patient way to engage folks. Even just doing simple things like using Sales Navigator to look at, based off of the leads that you've saved, who's even following our iSIMS company profile on LinkedIn is an easy way to kind of find prospects that, that are potentially interested in having a conversation with us. Like little things like that really help. So we talked about sort of revamping the, the cadences a bit. We talked about some of your people. Who were the other people that you needed to involve as you were changing your sales engagement strategy? There's really three teams. There's there's the marketing team who will provide the content, write the emails. There's the sales excellence team who will build out the cadences based off of our feedback, based off of success, and based off of analytics. That leaves our team with doing the actual work of prospecting. Because right now, we're really doing all three jobs at once, and that's just not efficient and not using the best resources. We're not the best at writing email. The marketing team is doing should be the writing emails. They're the best at doing it. Sales excellence is, is the team that would know how to analyze data that we're getting from sales loft and put it back into our sales channel. But th those are really the two teams that we've worked with the most is, is the marketing team and sales operations team internally here at iSIMS. The marketing team, first and foremost, and we, we couldn't speak more highly about our, our collaboration with them. We thought we would have to kind of you know engage with them. And we thought really, really hard about how are we going to get their buy-in? How are we going to provide value to them? Why would they want to help us? And the instant we started talking about this is what we're trying to do in terms of unified cadences and moving forward, helping us work with you guys better. I mean, they were not just supportive, incredibly proactive. And can we do this with you? Can we give you this piece of content? What if we write this email? Can we write this? I mean, they were super, super energized by it. And one of, if not the best parts of this is being able to work with the marketing team even closer. We really feel like we're no longer two different teams. We're just working together on the same goal. I know a lot of sales teams are saying, oh my goodness, I can't believe you gave content control of cadence messaging over to marketing. And the mm. primary complaint is that so often marketing, I mean, the salespeople will make the following complaints, right? One is 
I, as a salesperson or a sales leader, are much, much closer to the customers, and I know the language that they speak, and I know what language will resonate with them. And yep. marketing tends to come up with more abstract positioning type language. Was that a concern for you guys? How did you address that? We just set up a really open conversation with them where we said we need help with building out the body of our emails, but we've also been really clear in that we still want our ADE team to be able to personalize those emails. So what we're working on together now is to share best practices for writing prospecting emails with our marketing team. And we're so grateful that they were just open to hearing that feedback to begin with, and they genuinely do want to learn. And we're also making sure that each email they provide us leaves about 20% room for us to continue to personalize and have each ADE add in their own voice. So right now we're getting copy from them on these emails and we are maybe doing a couple of little updates here and there, which they're totally open to is sharing our feedback with them. And then what they're really interested in is seeing the quick results on how those emails are being received by our prospects. And I presume so ADE is account development executive team, right? Your team. Yes. I presume that as they draft copy, you iterate with them a bit to tweak it. Is that accurate? Yeah. That's the whole point. That's exactly right. That, that, that's the value we provide back to them, which is now that we're all on team cadences, rather than having to rewrite 20 different cadences every time we have a new marketing document or new marketing email, we are able to update one cadence and immediately every person on the team who's using SalesLoft can, can then utilize and benefit from that. And then instantly we can give the marketing team back data as to what's working for what persona in what industry, which has been really, really great for us, especially since uh, one of the ways that we rebuild the cadences was making sure that every person that we want to speak to is currently in an active cadence, that cadences don't begin and end. So we have a stage built for each part of where we think this prospect should be. We have a brand awareness cadence built out. We have a high value and high touch, highly personalized cadence. This is where most of our, our time is spent. And then we have a uh, nurture cadence and Kind of thinking about it rather than a beginning and for cadences, it's different chapters of a book. That has helped as well with the marketing team knowing what type of content do we need for whom. So if you're in a brand awareness campaign, that helps us define with the marketing team what type of content and what type of language we want to use. If you're in a high value, highly personalized cadence, then the content and the message is going to change drastically. And Stephanie brought up a really good point, which is... Although we move to team cadences, it doesn't mean that every email is the same. It's the opposite. It's we want to be able to write up to 80% of the email so the SDR, the AD doesn't have to write it themselves, leaving them 20% to make it their own and to make it based off of what they think their customer is going to be interested in hearing about. What do we think the prospect is going to want to hear about and how are we going to be helping them in that stage? I presume with the high value, high touch cadence, right, as that one ends, you then either use an automation rule or you have people sort of look at it and move it into that nurture cadence that you have. So basically, the idea is that we have these high touch cadences with all of our highest value targets. And once they've completed that cadence and they haven't gotten back to us, or even if they have gotten back to us to say now is not a good time, we want to be able to move them into a nurture cadence where we send them relevant information as it comes out, some things that are going to be evergreen, some things that might be like a webinar or whatever we might think is going to be helpful for them, and just continue to keep them engaged with the hope that they either come back to us as an inbound lead from our marketing team and they've accessed some sort of asset and inbound that way, 
or that the timing opens up to them and they reach out to us because they remembered we tried so hard to get in touch with them before, or we decide we're going to try again and start prospecting them again and move them into a different iteration of our high touch cadence. With respect to nurture cadences, I, I, there's no right or wrong answer here. I mean, some people do this in a sales engagement platform. Other people will put people back into a, a marketing automation platform like Analiqua or Marketo. Have you guys made a choice of which direction you're going there? We, about 12 months ago, moved towards a um, rating system for our accounts. So we have A and B accounts, ones that we, we particularly want to target. That's helped us pare down the amount of customers that we need to reach out to. So it's ensured that 100% of contacts in our top target accounts are all in some form of active cadence. It doesn't mean they're in a highly personalized cadence, but it does mean that they're in some form, either nurture, highly personalized, or uh, brand awareness cadence our thinking currently is we want to stick with that which is the marketing team does a great job of providing content for for customers that we may not know whether they want to be engaged with us we want to use sales law for customers that we've really targeted for specific reasons and that we know want to be engaged with us in, in some way so it's still an ongoing discussion as to how we want to balance out those two tools but right now we're leaning more towards using sales loft more because we get to engage with our prospects and get feedback from them directly around between open rate and reply rates as to what's working and what's not yeah i love the separation you have into a and b on the accounts you also sometimes see that segmentation on right the persona as well. But on the B accounts, it is okay to have a long-term email only or maybe very, very occasional call on those B accounts if it's long-term and you're just trying to nurture them a degree of automation. Those emails, I think, is perfectly acceptable. Yeah, it's, it's interesting you bring that up because we actually had a team meeting earlier this week to get feedback and that we're a few months into this new uh, unified kitten strategy. And uh, one of the main feedbacks that they had was was actually along those lines, which is in that brand awareness cadence, which is where most of our contacts currently live. 90% of contacts live in that brand awareness cadence that we built while the ADE spends 90% of their time focused on that high value target. But their overall feedback as to how we had structured the brand awareness campaign was that it was not targeted enough or it wasn't specific enough. We were by design created that cadence around not making an ask. We wanted to build credibility. We wanted to make sure that we that they identified our brand and our name with an industry leader and that we were providing high quality content that would help them. And we structured the emails around not making an ask whatsoever. The email did not end with, let's schedule a 15-minute call to discuss this, or let's schedule an on-site demo to deep dive into these points. It was just, was just, here's an interesting article I thought you'd find interesting, period. Or some emails are more along the lines of, here's um, a third-party article that talks about this topic that may be relevant to you. What do you think? Question mark. But that, that was kind of the most aggressive ask we would make in that campaign. The asks start in that high value target and high, um, highly personalized cadence. But the feedback from the team was that wasn't enough. We do need to start making asks and be a little bit more frequent. So yeah, definitely we're seeing in that brain awareness that we, we need to be more specific and make a few more asks. One other thing I wanted to circle back around to that you guys mentioned is you had this turn of phrase basically that the marketing team wants to learn. And, and I think that's so important. And it's also an exercise in patience for salespeople. I've recently been working with one of my partners in marketing, Alexandra Snow, on evolving and updating our persona and use case definitions. And 
it did take a number of calls for her to speak my language, for me to speak her language. And then eventually, I guess our languages intersected. So yesterday we had this really kind of magical point where we're both, you know, on the same page about what the personas and use cases mean. And we were coming at it from different sides originally, but we both wanted to learn. I think that's so important. What really helped is that we engaged with them extremely early on. I mean, we presented the strategy to the marketing team before we even presented it to the sales team. Even to our, our own team, we presented to the marketing team before. So, so we got them engaged very early on to get their thoughts and seeing what they wanted their engagement level to be. And I couldn't speak more highly of what their engagement level was. We thought it was going to be, is it going to be odd for us to make specific asks? How much are they going to be able to help? And we actually got the opposite response, which is they wanted help with the direction of how do we write prospecting emails? How do we convert this content that was usually sent out through Pardot, and that included very little customization, if any, and make it something that we can use to make it engaging for potential prospects. I'd love to take the time to reflect on our conversation a little bit and perhaps summarize a couple of the key takeaways or even something that we missed that you think is critical and success. Number one would be to keep in front of mind that you should always be helping. So that's always be helping your prospects with whatever it is that they are interested in and take time and do your due diligence to find out what that is. Um, and the other side of that is always be helping your business to make sure that all of your departments are aligned for the same goal and that everyone who's involved or everyone who's a stakeholder in a project has room to learn and is open to learning what the other side needs. And I think the other side of that would be to have a very clear vision and a very clear idea of how you can execute such a, a high scale change or a large change and be willing to adapt on the fly. So definitely uh, you're on your two, like top of mind, adding value to prospects. We talked a lot about social engagement in particular, ways to add value that's much more than just sort of dumping connection, even personalized connection requests on them. And then I love your ideas around strategic change, right? And, and the project management that has to go there, engaging people early and thinking holistically about the end goal. So uh, couldn't agree more. And how about for Eugene, what would you want to leave people with? Couldn't speak more highly of the, the use of team cadences. I think we, we thought about very early on, how do we customize our message at scale? How do you make that consistent and efficient for the team? And really the only way that we felt we could execute on that and make our messages relevant to the prospect and that would stand out is by making it customized. And the really the only way we could do it was, was through team cadences. So, so one would be team cadences. And two, again, I'll reemphasize this, it's the always be helping approach. You know, we went to the Chris Orlob session from Gong at Rainmaker, and he, he said the sentence that really stood out to us, which is if we can define the problem for our prospects before they can, or better than they can, then we've won. And that's what we've always tried to do is we rewrite our messages to what are we posting on LinkedIn? What are we sharing in our email? What do we want our calls to sound like? It's always with that mindset approach of if we can define a problem you didn't realize you had, or if we can define a problem that you have better than you can even internally, we know we're going to get in front of uh, that prospect and they're going to want to talk to us. So those would be the two things for me, um, building team cadences for the data and for the consistency around customization and to crafting your message around not what you want out of it, but what you think the prospect will need and use. Yeah. I love that last point. Also, I know what my objectives are and they're kind of broad objectives, but I may not know exactly how to accomplish that objective, right? Like the idea that will help me accomplish the objective. So I think challenging people in the context of 
providing them with ideas that will help them accomplish their specific objectives. That always be helping. It's a particular way to help that that really resonates. Yeah, and it really it really does help you stand out. Where I think most ninety percent of prospecting teams currently are still with the let's get them to get on a call with me, let's get them to demo. But the, they never ask themselves why would they want to do that? Why am I taking time out of their day to do it? And if you've built up credibility through your social shares, through your emails, and through your voicemails, they're going to want to talk to you rather than feeling forced that they have to. Once again, I'm your host Jeremy Donovan from Salesloft. Laura Hall is our executive producer. Our artwork is by Greg Klingshern. This episode was edited by Peter Lopinto. Subscribe to us on your favorite app to learn more immediately actionable best practices from our awesome guests. Thanks for listening to the Hey Salespeople podcast.